Romans 15.6 says, may you with one voice bring glory to God the Father through Jesus Christ, right? And that's exactly what we just did there. You take away the, the instruments and you just have voices, right? I don't know if you felt that. I felt that today. No matter who we are this morning, everybody's in different walks of life, and yet we can come together with unity and bring praise and glory to God. How awesome is that? Uh, absolutely. Amen. Um, well, hey, we are in our message series where we're looking at the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and we're going to go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, there are some back by the back doors. I encourage you to get up and go get one if you need that. Um, or you can just download the app on your phone, and that's super easy too, all right? And so we've been going through the book of Jonah where we've been looking at God's pursuing grace for not only Jonah, but also for the city called Nineveh. And uh, last week, if you weren't with us, we saw how Jonah finally went to Nineveh after all the time where he was just uh, rebelling against God and saying, God, I don't want to go there. Finally, Jonah says, okay, I'll go to Nineveh and I'll preach the message that you want me to preach. And so he went there, he spoke to them about their impending doom if they don't repent from their sin. And uh, we saw that Jonah took a great risk by going into that city, being an Israelite himself, because Nineveh is literally the enemy of Israel. Um, and so we saw God's grace, though, come into fruition. And so Jonah went and preached this message of doom and destruction, and the entire city of Nineveh, all the way from the least, we're told, to the king, repented from their sin, right? And so we see God uh, relent from disaster, and he shows them grace and mercy. We looked at how the, sometimes the most dangerous risks can often lead to the greatest reward. And so at this point, at the end of chapter 3, probably the book of Jonah should have ended there, but we actually see the last chapter, chapter 4, we think because we live in such a happily, happily ever after culture, we would think like, okay, awesome, Jonah's going to love the city of Nineveh, he's going to be a great pastor for them, he's going to care for them, love them, teach them, he's going to want to see them succeed, he's going to want to see God's grace just pour into that city and see them just flourish and thrive. And so that's, we think that's what we're going to see today in Jonah chapter 4, but it's not. And so let's read it. And so we're going to just open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Again, um, don't feel bad if you can't find Jonah. There is a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Don't be ashamed to look there so you can get to Jonah chapter 4. But I'm just going to read it here for you. Jonah 4, 1 through 11. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Yet you are eager to turn back from destroying people. 
Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if, if what I predicted will not happen. Then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under and waited to see if what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread and broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until, the, until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, said Jonah, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? What just happened, right? A lot of people read Jonah and they usually stop at chapter 2 and a lot of people don't go to chapter 4. But when you read that chapter and you get to the end, you're left just like, what is going on? Why did that just end that way? That just ended like one of those movies. You know how you get to the end of a movie and it doesn't really end the way you think it should end? And you're like, what's next? What happens after that? That's basically how Jonah ends because that's the last thing we hear about Jonah. And so not only is it kind of a, a, a terrible ending, but at the same time, we also see Jonah not respond the way that we think he should respond. You think he'd be super happy and excited for God to relent from destroying Nineveh, and yet we see here that he goes outside of the city and throws a temper tantrum like a three-year-old. You see, what's going on in Jonah's heart? What's going on with God and Nineveh and Jonah? You see, instead of this happily ever after, we see just something really happening in Jonah's heart and his life. And so Jonah chapter 4 is like a lesson from a father to one of his children. It's a lesson from a, a father to one of his children and we're going to see this lesson throughout Jonah chapter 4 today. We're going to see that we need to give to others what God has given to us. We need to give to others what God has given to us. This is actually the, the lesson throughout the book of Jonah. So when you take a step back and you look at all the chapters we see that, that the, God's grace and compassion for lost souls is what the lesson is of this entire book. God, his grace and compassion for the lost soul of Jonah in chapters 1 and 2. First for the mariners on the boat, then Jonah at the bottom, then Nineveh in chapter 3, and now in verse 4, Nineveh again. 
And so we really have to look at this and say, what is God trying to teach us through this chapter like a father teaching his children? And we're going to see that we need to give to others what God has given to us. And so let's jump in, and we're going to just kind of go through the entire chapter a little bit. But first, the first question that I'm always left asking is, why is Jonah angry? Like, why would something amazing happen, an entire city come to repent and and be shown grace, and yet here we see a prophet, someone who's supposed to be this person who follows God, why is he even angry? And so in the first four verses, we see that Jonah is angry for a few reasons. First, we see that Jonah was angry because what he planned didn't happen. Because what he planned didn't happen. Look at verses 1 and 3. Verse 1 starts this way. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. And then later in verse 3, it says, Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. You see, Jonah, first and foremost, was angry because what he planned and what he wanted to happen didn't happen. Jonah expected consistency from God. He wanted God to follow his plan. When you go back to Jonah chapter 1, we see that God said to Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh to preach judgment, okay? And then in Jonah chapter 3, he says the same thing. Go to Nineveh and tell them that destruction is coming in 40 days. And so Jonah gets it into his mind, okay, I'll go to Nineveh, people I don't like, and I'll tell them that they're going to die. That's a great message. Perfect. And so he finally obeys God, and he says, listen, you're all going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what Jonah wanted to happen. He wanted this city to be destroyed. He wanted God to preach and and come through with his judgment, and yet God showed mercy instead. How dare he? How dare God show mercy to these people? You see, I hate to break it to you, but, but when we try to play God, our expectations, when our expectations aren't meant, anger and frustration will always follow. Let me say that again. When we try to play God and our expectations aren't met, anger and frustration will always follow. You see, Jonah had this amazing plan where he was going to obey God. He was going to preach this message of judgment and see them destroyed. He planned this. He wanted this to happen. His expectation was here. And then reality came in somewhere here. But when this happens, what's going to fill that gap? Anger and frustration. Right? Doesn't that happen in our lives as well? Doesn't that happen when we try to play God and plan our lives out and, and say, hey, this is what I believe should happen, God, and yet God comes in somewhere else and we fall into anger and frustration? You see, God had a different plan one that was bigger and that exceeded Jonah himself. And so we all have to ask the question, uh, how often does this happen to us? How often do we try to play God and try to follow our own plans 
And yet when our plans don't come into fruition, we get angry with God. This past Monday, I, was, um, I got in my car to go to a meeting. It was a lunch meeting. And I got in my car, and I turned it on, and um, it started squealing really loud, right? So this is this past Monday, super fresh. And um, so it just started squealing. So I devised this plan in my head. This happened right in the parking lot here. And I devised this plan in my head. The squealing happened. So I, I was like, hey, if I just, like, gun it, the squealing will stop, okay? So the, because it's probably just, like, not awake yet or something. I'm not a car guy. I have no... So don't talk to me about cars after that. I, don't, I won't talk to you. Um, so I'm like, I'm just going to gun it, and it'll just, the squealing will go away because it's a belt, and so it just needs to move a little bit. And so I gunned it, and I'm not, this is no joke, I gunned it, and all of a sudden, I heard, like that, right? And it was this noise I've never heard, and I was, so I just sat there. So I, so I pushed the brake, and I sat there, and I waited. I waited for, like, smoke to billow out, or I waited for um, the car to stop or something, but it didn't. And so literally in my mind, I said, well, apparently I don't need that part. <laughs> because that's like the, our appendix, right? Because my car was fine. And so I had this plan. I'm like, I'm going to gun it. It worked. I'm sweet. So I drove the car that day. I drove, I drove it on the highway. I drove it all there, right? I had this plan in my mind that I was going to just go ahead and drive the car as is. And so I show up on Tuesday, and, and Spencer, I was telling him what happened. He goes, that's weird. I found this in the parking lot. He holds up this massive car part, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't drive my car. And so I drove it to the mechanic. I walked in. I said, this fell out of my car. And he was like, I've never seen that fall out of a car before. And so, and so we're down to one car. And so the moral of the story is, is that I had this plan of what I was going to do, of how I was going to fix my car, but we never plan to have a car break down, do we? It's usually a first world issue, and now we're like trying to figure out, and I'm thinking, how does anybody live with just one car? And I have this plan, and I have this expectation and it's interesting because I went to the, the mechanic and I said, hey, this fell out of my car. And he went in there and he was like, this is, I've never seen this before, which is what you don't want to hear happen. But it's so funny because he said, look, you could have you been hurt. Your, it, your car could have literally seized on the highway going 70 and you could have you been in danger. You see, in that moment, I had a choice. In that moment, I could have been angry with God because, like I said, we never planned for a car to break down. It's not our plan. We never want that to happen. Or I could have said, wow, God, you were so gracious that it wasn't worse than it is. You see, we have this idea of where we can plan things our way. And we can try to play God and try to manipulate the situation. And our expectations come in here, but yet God's plan comes in here. And so something's going to fill that gap. It's either going to be anger or frustration or it's going to be obedience and trust in God that he knows better than us. You see, Jonah was angry because what he planned didn't happen. God had a bigger plan in place. You see, 
when we read in those first four verses that Jonah was angry, yeah, his plan didn't happen, but we actually see that the, the issue was a lot deeper than that. Not only was Jonah angry at the plan of God, but he was also angry with the character of God, with the character of God. And here, look at it, Jonah 4.2. He said, didn't I say before I left home? So this is way back in chapter 1 when he decides to go the opposite direction. He, he put, had it in his mind. This is, what, this is who God is. This is what he's going to do. He said, I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, as if they're bad things, right? You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You see, Jonah had a heart issue. He had a closed heart. He had a stone-cold heart against God and his very character. He is angry with God for being merciful, compassionate, patient, loving to people that he does not think God should be merciful, compassionate, patient, and loving to. He believes that these characteristics of God are only reserved for people like him. And here's why we know that. You see, that list of attributes that we just read there is actually the same list of attributes that God himself describes himself in Exodus chapter 34. Let's look at it here. And just to give you some context, Israel just built a golden calf, and they were worshiping this golden calf in Exodus 32. And then God graciously gives them grace and mercy, and he's, he comes before Moses. And this is what God said. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. He says, the God of compassion and mercy I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is, Jonah knew this was who God was because God himself described it this way. And actually, if you go further with this, this list of attributes we see in the Old Testament in nine various forms all throughout the Old Testament. You see what Jonah wants to be is he wants these characteristics to be part of Israel's history and Israel alone. He wants that character, those characteristics of God only to be reserved for people like him. And so how then could these marvelous attributes of Israel's God be shared with a city like Nineveh? You see, Jonah's anger was deeper than just his plan not happening. He actually was angry at the very character of God, which is a bold anger, isn't it? You see, instead of being angry, it's obvious Jonah should have celebrated God for being God. Jonah should have celebrated God for being God because he himself is a product of God's plan and a product of God's character, isn't he? He experienced God's pursuing grace and mercy. He experienced God's patient compassion, God's steadfast love. You see, he himself is a product of those very characteristics, and yet he doesn't want to share them with people like Nineveh. You see, Jonah is like the servant we read about in Matthew 18. Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples in Matthew 18. We're not going to read it, but you can go back and do that. And this, in this parable, 
And Jesus sets it up where there's a master who has a servant, and that servant has a tremendous debt, a debt he could never pay back ever. And this servant pleads with the master and says, forgive me, forgive me, whatever. And so the, the master says, sure, I will forgive you. And then that servant turns around and goes to a, another servant who, who has a small debt with him, and he requires that servant to pay back the debt. Doesn't make sense, does it? So then the master's like, wait a minute, and brings the servant back, and he says, how dare you? And we read it here in Matthew 18, 32 through 33. It says, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Or in other words, shouldn't you want to give mercy because you received mercy yourself? You see, Jonah pleaded with God when he hit rock bottom and God showed him mercy by bringing in this great fish. But when God shows Nineveh the same mercy, Jonah says, I'd rather die than for Nineveh to receive what I've received. See, is it right for Jonah to be angry about this? No, it's not. And that's actually what God asks Jonah in verse 4. He says, is it right for you to be angry about this? You see, what we can envision here and picture is God as our father kneels down to Jonah, a child, holds his hand, looks in his face, and lovingly says, listen, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to act this way when you yourself have received this mercy and this grace? You see, God reveals to us that Jonah is angry because he's lacking in love and compassion for people who aren't like him. Jonah may love God and he may love Israel, but he does not like other people. He lacks love and compassion So how often are we like Jonah? How often are we like Jonah where we lack love and compassion for other people who aren't like us? You see, a lot. before you get on your high horse and you say, you know what, that's not me. I love everybody. I want you to really think about it. Think about your friend group. I bet you your friend group are a lot of people just like you. I bet you the people you talk with, the people you are drawn to, are a lot like you. Same lifestyle, same economic realm, whatever it may be, right? We all are guilty of this. We all have this bent to be drawn to people who are just like us, and yet God is trying to teach us here. Listen, that can't be. We can't lack love and compassion that God has for us. We need to be able to give that to others. We all struggle with this, but the beauty of this is that when we do struggle with this, God, like our Father, kneels down to us, holds our hand, looks at us in the face and says, listen, you shouldn't be angry about this. You need to love and have compassion for other people who aren't like you. And so I really want you to think about that. 
I really want you to think how much you love people who are different than you. Because you yourself have received grace and mercy from God. And so that question in verse 4 must have really upset Jonah. Because when you continue on in the, in the passage, we see that uh, Jonah gets mad again and that he leaves the city now and he sets up a shelter outside of the city uh, in order to see what happens to Nineveh. He's still holding out hope that God's going to give into his tantrum and destroy Nineveh. How many of your children have ever done that? Right, where they continue to have tantrums, thinking that the tantrum is the, the fix of, like, if I just cry louder, they'll, they'll do what I want, right? And how often, I know, I know for me as a parent, that makes me not want to do it even more, right? And so he's throwing this tantrum. And so clearly Jonah needs a, an illustrative lesson on compassion, and that's exactly what God gave him. And so as we read Jonah chapter 4, he, we brought up this idea of a plant and a worm and all this stuff. And so in verse 6, I'm not going to read it because we don't have time, but in verse 6, we see that God appoints a leafy plant to come and cover Jonah and to give him shade because, remember, they're in the desert. It's hot. And so God appoints this this, this plant. And Jonah is super happy with God's uh, mercy because Jonah had no control over this plant. God made it grow, and he had this, this shade, and he was super grateful for God's mercy. But then the next morning, God appoints a worm to eat through the stem of the plant so that it would die. And to top it off, God arranged for a scorching wind to blow on Jonah. So to put it in our context, put yourself in the line of the Millennium Force at Cedar Point at 100 degrees with no wind, and you're not under the shade thing or by the misters, right? Think how miserable that is. It's not the same. Okay. Um, I was trying to equate it, but no. But, right? So, so he's, he's literally in misery at this point. And he says to God in verse 9, God says again to Jonah, he says, wait a minute, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? Jonah says, yes, it's absolutely right for me to be angry, and I am angry, and I still want to die. And this is where it gets really heavy in verse 10 and 11. Wow, I skipped a bunch. Okay. Jonah 4, 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant because, he, remember, he felt sorry that the plant was gone. Though you did nothing to put it there. You had no control over it. I'm the one that did it. This is God talking. It came quickly and it died. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. God says, you feel sorry for the plant that you had nothing to do with. It came quickly and it died. And yet Nineveh is filled with 120,000 people and you feel nothing. You feel nothing for them. You see, God just showed Jonah that he had more compassion for a plant than he did for people. And so what God is doing here is God is revealing the source of all of the anger. He's revealing the source of all the tension between him and God. He's revealing Jonah's pride. 
He's revealing Jonah's pride. He, this idea of this uh, God saying, you feel sorry for the plant, carries the, the idea of attachment. And so Jonah, in one night, became attached to this plant that was doing what? It was serving him. He became attached to this plant because it was serving him, it was helping him, it brought him comfort, which revealed that he was only concerned about himself. And so when it dies, his anger is rekindled because he is experiencing discomfort. You see, God is is showing Jonah that you are super prideful, and when that happens, pride always destroys compassion. Pride always destroys compassion. You see, look at, think about all your relationships you're in. Think about your marriage. Think about all the issues you've gone through in a marriage. It usually can be traced back to pride, can it? Right? When, when you are just, when you lack compassion for your spouse, it's usually because you're being prideful in the moment. Think about your coworkers. Think about your, your children as parents, whatever it may be, pride will always ruin compassion. When we're only focused on ourselves, we're always going to lack compassion for others. And that's the root issue with Jonah, is that he has this pride, and pride destroys compassion. And so what God wants to teach Jonah is that humility is, produces compassion. Humility produces compassion, and God himself is showing him in this passage of how to be humble and how to be someone who has amazing compassion for people who aren't like him. You see, Nineveh is living in spiritual darkness. I like how the ESV puts it. It says they don't know their right hand from their left hand. Obviously, they know their right hand from their left hand. And so God's talking about it with this idea of, spiritually speaking, they have no clue. They have no clue. And so God wants to show Jonah what it looks like to have compassion for people, even if it's people that aren't like him or people that Jonah thinks shouldn't receive this grace and this mercy. And so to emphasize this point, the entire book ends with this statement by God. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Remember, Jonah's anger is kindled at God, God because it didn't follow his plan. He's, he's mad at God's character. And God's saying, listen, you had pity on the plan, but I have pity for people. He says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? For 120,000 people who are literally in the spiritual darkness, shouldn't I love them enough to show them grace and mercy? And I love this phrase because that, that those words, I feel sorry for it, carries with it this idea of attachment. God is attached to Nineveh. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, God chooses Israel to be his people. And yet here we see God grieving and weeping over a city who technically aren't his people. And yet he has this attachment to them. This is radical compassion for people who don't deserve it. God is grieving over the evil and the lostness of Nineveh. And God wants to see compassion 
at its finest. And he says, listen, Jonah, you are off. Your pride has destroyed your compassion for others. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my compassion on people. You see, Jonah was only grieved about the plant. God was grieved about people. And so ask yourself, am I grieved about people? Going through this message, I driving through Port Clinton, I ask myself that question all the time. Do I even care about these people? Do I even care about the people who are in spiritual darkness? Right? Even I myself have to ask my, myself that question on a daily basis because it brings me back to, yes, God cares, so I want to care. God's going to have compassion on them if they repent and if they turn to Jesus. And so I should absolutely give them the same compassion and grace. And yet there are times I fail. There are times that I don't do that. You see, we need to give to others what God has given to us. That's what Jonah, Jonah forgot, that very vital aspect, that he himself is a product of grace and mercy. He forgot what God had given to him and how that needs to be given to other people. And so that, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves as we walk out of here today. First and foremost, what has God given to us? This is vital for you to understand in your life. You, don't take my word for it. Don't take someone else's word for it. Take God's word for it and figure out what has God given to us. And I will explain it a little bit for you. God has given to us his son Jesus. You want to know why? Because we were in spiritual darkness, just like Nineveh. And so he sent the light, which is Jesus, to open our eyes and to really provide light to our paths. And Jesus went to the cross where he rose again three days later. That's what God has given to us. And through, through Jesus, we have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? And when we place our faith in Christ, God gives us this eternal life where we can have freedom to have a relationship with him. That's what God has given us. And so every day is a blessing. It's a gift for us to then give to others what God has given to us. And so that's the next question you have to ask yourself. How can we give these things to others? So when God shows you grace and mercy, how can I show grace and mercy to other people this week? How can I show compassion to my spouse, to my kids, to the stranger at the store? How can I have eyes like God and see people for who they are or people who live in spiritual darkness rather than being prideful and not wanting to talk to them because they're a little bit different than me? Right? How can we give these things to others? You have to answer that for yourself. All of our contexts are different, aren't they? And so we have to understand what has God given to us. When you understand that, then you ask the question, how can I give this to other people? How can I be a beacon of what God has given me? And then the last question is all about the ending of this story. Remember, this story kind of ends. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We have no clue if he's like, okay, God, you're right. I was very wrong. We have no clue if he repents from his, his pride. We have no clue what goes on. But the beauty of this is, is that we get to kind of create the ending of the story ourselves. 
Because just like all of Scripture, Scripture continues through us. The story of Jesus continues to live through us. And so we get to be the ones to finish this story. We get to be the ones that either follow this lesson of compassion and understand it and say, you know what, God, you are right. I do need to have compassion for people who aren't like me. I do need to give to others what you have given to me. And so we get to be the ones to finish the story. So the question I want to leave you with is how will you finish the story of Jonah? And so a lot to do this week, a lot to think about, and I hope that you take these challenges home with you and you think about it and you ask God to give you the grace and the wisdom you need to give to others what God has given to you. Let's pray. God, sometimes our plans, we want them to be ours. We don't want to follow your plans. Sometimes we're angry with with who you are sometimes. But God, I pray that you would give us eyes and, and hearts that are just like yours. That we would be able to see people for who they are. That we are all real people in process. And God, that we would be able to just give the compassion and mercy and grace that you have given to us to them so that they can have hope through Jesus Christ. And so God, work in our hearts, work in our lives. Help us to figure out how we can finish the story of Jonah, whether we're going to follow you and learn from your lesson or whether we're going to be like Jonah and continue to walk away from you. We pray this in your name. Amen.